All right, good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I was asked to preach this morning. It's always a privilege and an honor uh, to bring God's word. But unfortunately, I don't have any high-tech um, visuals for you this morning, so we're going to go old school. I'm going to take you back to the times of before Apple computers and electricity, so, but um, I know God's word is sufficient and it's be effective. If you could please turn to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. And the title of this message is, We Are All Beggars. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And it reads, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let us ask God's blessing on this word this morning. Our God and our Father who created heaven and earth and everything in it, we thank you and praise you and honor you for summoning us here this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray that your glory will fill every inch of this place, that your glory will fill our imagination, our hearts, that we may see you anew. We ask you to condescend and, and teach us your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit will hover over us and recreate us and conform us and transform us to the image of your beautiful son. Lord, I come in weakness, I come humble to this task, and I ask that you will assist me with your grace and, and your power. I pray that I will move out the way and Christ may speak to his people. And Lord, what we know not teach us, what we are not make us, and what we have not, please give us. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. There is something twisted and dark and sinister at the core of mankind in our natural and fallen condition. 
something baleful and destructive to the point that we are capable of becoming and acting in a heinous and damaging ways. We are capable of behaving selfishly and cruelly and unloving. And at times, this nature is not easily detected. Most of the time, it lies dormant. And for a brief moment, we, we exhale and say, you know what, I'm not so bad. I'm a pretty good person, all things being equal. Sure, I make mistakes every now and then, but, no, but nobody's perfect. Everybody does this. But at least I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. I don't go around lying and I don't go around gossiping about this person, this family, that couple. I don't bash people on social media who doesn't agree with me. I just delete them or unfollow them. I'm an upstanding citizen in my community. I'm a faithful churchgoer. I give money to those who are in need. And more importantly, I read good books. But as soon as we flatter ourselves with our performance and buy into those lies and start to see a mirage of innocence within us, our fallen nature pops up and says, remember me? I'm here to remind you that you are a sinner that sinned. And this eternal stain cannot be washed away no matter how many good works we try to accumulate, no matter how pious and, and um, virtuous we strive to be or how disciplined our lives are. Sin is always there lurking and plotting and scheming, planning to keep us enslaved, to dominate our lives. Theologians call this condition total depravity or radical corruption, which means that mankind is depraved and corrupted in the totality of our being. Now, this is not saying that we are as evil or as corrupted as we can possibly be. This, but this doctrine is saying that every part of our being has been laced, has been infected, has been touched by sin. Our mind, our wills, our imagination, our emotions, our bodies have been altered by sin. Sin is at the root. It is at the central part of our, of our nature, permeating the very core of our being. Every ounce of us, every inch, every molecule, every fiber that contributes to our essence is infected by sin. Every breath we take, every desire, every thought, every action is somehow influenced and motivated by sin. We are in covenant with sin in our fallen and natural state. And Jesus corroborates this truth in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19 and 20. He says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. He is saying what is really wrong with us is what's in us, what resides in us. It's internal. It's innate. We are all potential slanderers, murderers, adulterers. Remember, Christ said that if you look upon a woman with lustful intent, you have committed adultery. By breaking the 10th commandment of coveting thy neighbor's wife or coveting any woman, he have broken the seventh commandment of adultery. 
we may not see the see these things we may not do these things outwardly but inwardly they are perched and, and nesting in our hearts that's why we are in need, we're in need of a heart transplant we need the holy spirit to turn our hearts from the hearts of stone to the hearts of flesh in jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it david said in psalms 51 chapter Psalms chapter 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin that my mother conceived me. You see, we are not alone during our conception. We have company. We have a chaperone. We have an unwanted guest called sin. It is conceived and formed in and with us. I'm sorry. <laughs> This is the condition and the diagnosis of man in his darkened and nocturnal state. Sin is shackled to our souls, it enslaves us. It's a tyrant that makes us spiritually impotent and paralyzes our moral ability to come to Christ. This beggar in Acts chapter 3 is a picture, it's an exhibit, displays. It's a display of our spiritual reality of the effect of sin in humanity, which makes us all beggars. And I believe this is what Luke is trying to communicate to us in this passage. So let's begin to grapple with our text this morning. Beginning at verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. We see here Peter and John going up to the temple to pray. And this was the tradition of the Jews to go up to the temple to offer prayer um, three times a day. They went at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 p.m. And we see here Peter and John going up to the temple. And this word going, it indicates that this was like a continuous thing. This is what they usually did. This was their practice. This was their routine. We see them going at the ninth hour which was 3 p.m. where the evening sacrifices were done. Verse two, and a man lamed from birth. Let's stop there for a moment. A man lamed from birth. He was crippled and paralyzed from the waist down and he was born this way. All of his life he has never experienced the joy of taking one step the joy of, of climbing or dancing or hiking or running through a field or racing or chasing or playing tag with his friends as, as a child. Acts chapter 4 verse 22 says he was over 40 years old. So for over 40 years, this is all that this beggar has ever known, to be dependent on others, to be looked upon with pity, to be marginalized and rejected and ostracized. You see, he couldn't walk into the temple to worship. Daily he saw people walking into the temple to worship God, but he couldn't walk in, in, in the temple himself. Sin has alienated him from God and from God's people. The effects and the reverberations of Adam's sin has affected him physically and spiritually. This beggar is an illustration, a vivid portrait of the condition that we all are born in spiritually. We are born in sin, fashioned in iniquity, 
And this condition leaves us paralyzed. It leaves us crippled, lamed, and helpless. And you may be asking, you know, how is this a picture of us spiritually? What does a spiritually paralyzed person looks like or behave? And those are good questions. And I believe God's word would answer that. First of all, because we are born in sin, we don't have the ability. We don't have the spiritual leg strength to come to Christ. We don't have the inclination to come to him because we are spiritually paralyzed. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He says no one is capable of coming to him. And he doubles down on this in, in the same chapter where many who were not believing in him and in his word, he says in verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Jesus says no one can come to him. And this is a, an objective truth, a universal negative. This is true for everyone, everywhere, at all times. Not one single person that has lived, that is living, or that will live has the moral ability to believe, to trust, to rest and have faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Jesus is saying that we don't have the ability, the power to come to him on our own. You see, we can hear the gospel, but we cannot respond to it because we are paralyzed in our sin. Jesus say. He say that there's a necessary condition that must happen for us to come to salvation. And that condition is for God to grant, to bestow, to minister to us, to give us the power to come to Christ. Just like this beggar, we are born in this plight, spiritually deformed, afflicted, helpless, and without strength. This is all that we have ever known, and this is all we will ever know if God doesn't grant us the ability to come to Christ. This is what a spiritually paralyzed person looks like. Secondly, because we are born in sin, we are paralyzed with a hostility against God and from pleasing him. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 and 8 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you are unregenerate, if you are not saved, if you, if you are in the flesh, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you cannot please God. You cannot love God. You cannot live holy or cultivate holiness in your heart simply because you don't want to. You don't have the desire to. We don't have the appetite to feed on Christ. We don't have the inclination to please God. It is impossible for us to do those things without that necessary condition. This is what a spiritually paralyzed person looks like. Thirdly, because we are born in sin, our minds, our will, and desires are paralyzed and lifeless. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. 
Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Beloved, this is what a spiritually paralyzed person behaves and looks like. This is the commentary of man in his sinful state. These are the symptoms of the disease that resides within us. A minister minister said this, that we are under the dominion of sin. We are the property of sin. We are addicted to sin. Our conduct and our behavior confirms this truth. Sin totally dominates every fiber of of our being. It rendered us helpless to do anything good on our own. To help ourselves to do anything to remedy our miserable condition just like this beggar. Let's now continue with verse 2. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask of alms of those entering the temple. We see here that this man was laid at the gate, at the, at the temple of the beautiful gate. And this gate, um, Josephus, who was a a Christian historian, he said this gate was a a very large gate. It was um, impressive. It was like 75 feet high and 60 60 feet wide. And this gate was made with Corinthian bronze, and it was adorned with with silver and gold. So this gate was visually um, impressive and stunning. And this beggar was laid there daily probably by family members or friends, so that he could beg for alms. Now, there was a lot of traffic. There was a lot of people going in and and out the temple. So this was a heady and smart play um, by this beggar and those who placed him there. There was not a better place, a better position for him to be in so he could play on the emotions and pull on the heartstrings of those who wanted to buy their way to heaven, who wanted to buy their salvation, who depended on their spiritual performance of trying to please God. So this was a a great strategy to make money. So he expected to receive mercy and pity by those uh, who went to the temple and prayed. And this is how he got his monetary gifts. He was asking for alms. He needed means to, to survive. He needed the means to live. He needed help. And it was good for him to ask for help. It was good for him to receive help. But you see that only he was only begging for temporary things. He was only begging for temporary help and not eternal help. Money was all that he wanted. Money was all that he thought he needed. He just wanted a temporary solution to get through the day. And we're just like this beggar in our sinful state. We just want a temporary solution. We just want temporary relief, um, happiness, pleasure, ease, comfort to get through this life while still being spiritually paralyzed. Humanity is begging for what the world can give us, but we're begging for the wrong resources. We're begging for the wrong capital. We're begging for the wrong things. You see, what they were giving him was just a distraction. 
he was given a temporary subsidy for an eternal problem. Their gift, their giving could not correct or help him of what he was in truly need of, and that's to be cured, to be set free, to be made whole. What they offered him didn't solve his vital problem, which was to be right with God. The great Martin Lloyd-Jones said, when the world has given us everything it's got to give us, the fundamental problem of men are still left completely untouched. This man doesn't need what the world can give him. He needed something otherworldly. He needed a miracle from the divine eternal physician. He needed Christ because Jesus Christ is the only one that can give this man what he truly need. Christ can cure him and make him whole, not only physically, but spiritually as well. Let's continue with verse three and four. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. We see Peter and John directing the gaze at, at this beggar. And the idea here it was that they was looking at him intently with serious contemplation. It was like they was looking through him like he was the only person there. So what is going on here? Why was they looking at this beggar was so intently? Why was there such special pity given to this man? What drew, what drew them to this beggar? There were many more beggars you know, around the temple. And I'm sure it wasn't the first time that they seen this man because we read that he was set there daily and we know that Peter and John went there daily as well for prayer. So what is taking place here? Why was there so much intention given to this man? This was the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit zeroed in on this beggar this is God sovereignly selecting, electing, and choosing this man to display his glory and his power to change this man's life, and also to confirm and to verify and to validate the apostleship of Peter and John, because one of the requirements of being an apostle is to perform miracles. So there's a lot going on here. Peter said, look at us. Peter wanted his undivided attention. Peter demanded him to look at them because they had something that was worth more than monetary gain. They had something that was worth more than silver and gold to give him. They had a life-changing, a life-altering, an eternal gift to give to this man. Let's continue at verse 5. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. After they acknowledged him, after, after they demanded him to look at them, his expectation heightened. He knew something was about to take place. He knew that they was going to give, give him something significant. It was like he, it's like he was expecting this jackpot of, of money to come to him. So he fixes his attention on them. In other words, he gave heed and cleaved and held on to them visually with expectations of receiving something substantial. And boy, did he receive something substantial. And we see this in verse six. 
But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter wanted to introduce this beggar to Christ who can meet his true need to the one who is his only hope in this life and the life to come. He said, rise up and walk. In this name, there is power, there is authority, there is restoration, there is liberation, and there is deliverance. Peter said, in this name, I give you a command to do something that you have never done before. In the name of Jesus, I command you to do something that you can never do on your own, and that is to rise and walk. Courtesy of the sovereign will, of the power, of the authority that is in the name of Jesus Christ. In that name, all that you ever wanted, all that you ever hoped for and imagined has now been realized. Let's continue to verse 7 and 8. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This man received far more than what he expected or anticipated. This is what Christ does, doesn't he? He supersedes what we, what we expected. This beggar received a miracle. This is God acting independently from the laws of nature. You see, miracles, they have a, a multi-purpose to them. They are signs to illustrate and demonstrate the power of God. They are witnesses to inform us that God is powerful, that God exists, and that he transcends our perspective. But miracle, miracles also serve as parables, as a visual sermon to preach and to teach us a spiritual truth. And what this miracle is teaching us is that there's authority and power in the, in the name of Jesus Christ, that Christ is Lord over all diseases, that Christ is Lord over all infirmities and afflictions. And also this miracle shows us what our salvation looks like, what sovereign grace looks like, what the gospel looks like. This miracle is a picture, it's a portrait of our spiritual deliverance, of our salvation, which is by grace alone. Because you see, initially, this man did not demonstrate um, faith in Christ. He wasn't seeking salvation. He wasn't seeking God. He wasn't seeking Christ. He wasn't even seeking to be healed or for deliverance. It was God who sovereignly sought him out, who chose him, elected him. God went after this beggar. Just like in our salvation, God pursues us. Christ initiates the first step to save helpless sinners like us. It was Christ who brought healing and restoration to this man, just like he does when it comes to our salvation. And we also see in verse 7 and 8 that this man was instantly and completely healed. And just like in our salvation, it is instant and it is complete. The moment that God regenerates our hearts, changes our hearts, the moment he gives us faith to believe, that's the moment that we are completely saved. Or we become Christians, a new creation and a new humanity. This beggar healing, his healing was instant and it was complete. He didn't need months 
of physical therapy. He did not need um, assistance or a walker. His feet were dead, but now they became alive. His legs were lame, and now they are effective. His ankles were weak, but now they are strengthened. He begins to rise and walk and leap and praise God. He now has the leg strength to come to Christ and receive salvation. See, not only was his body was healed, but I also believe that his soul was healed as, as well, that he did receive salvation. Now, you might be asking or saying, how do you, how do you know that he was truly saved, Rob? You know, he could have just been caught up emotionally. He could have just been caught up in the moments, just being excited about this miracle. What makes you think that he did receive salvation? Well, let's revisit verse 8 and look at verse 9. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. It says that immediately he went and entered to the temple, praising God. His actions demonstrate gratitude towards God. The first thing he does is enter to the temple to praise him. You see, he could have just went home and went to his family and said, look, I'm walking. It's a miracle. I'm walking. I'm, I'm fixed. It's time to celebrate. It's time to have a party. It's time for me to do what I always wanted to do, to dance and take taekwondo, you know, whatever I, that I always wanted to do. You know, he could not have thanked God at all. He could have been like the 10 lepers who Jesus healed in Luke chapter 11 where um, there was 10 lepers, but only one came back to thank him. This beggar could have been like the nine lepers, but he wasn't. This beggar went to the temple first to give God praise. He gave him sacrifices of praise and worshiped him. In verse 12, it says that he clings to Peter and John, and he does this because he wants to worship God and be with God's people. See, this is what a sinner who is saved by grace, this is what they do. This is what they do. They want to be in God's presence with God's people. Joel Beakey, he said this, that many people need God for their afflictions, but not for their sins. Let me read that again. Many people need God for their afflictions, but not for their sins. I don't believe this was the case for the beggar. His attitude demonstrated that he was now a worshiper of God that his sins were forgiven, that he received salvation. And I believe this healing and his gratitude towards God verifies this. Let's close out this chapter with verse 9 and 10. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Can you imagine the scene when that beggar just walked in that, into the temple, shouting and praising God to the top of his lungs, just leaping, dancing, and, and behaving like a charismatic? That had to have been a jaw-dropping moment for, for them all who witnessed this miracle. It says they, they was filled with wonder and amazement they was in a state of shock, a state of surprise, and perhaps a state of fear as well. 
and God had their attention. It was set up by God. He had their attention, and Peter took advantage of it because in the rest of the chapter, he preaches the gospel to them. He preaches a sermon to them. Let me tell you something. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, if the life of God resides in you, you are a walking miracle. You were once dead, but now you're alive. You was once paralyzed with sin and you hated God, but now you are set free and you love God. Look around you. We are just miracles here. You're looking at miracles around you. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. This beggar is an illustration, a portrait of what a helpless and crippled sinner looks like when he or she is has been saved by grace. It was said that Martin Luther, before he died, he had a piece of paper in his pocket that said, we are all beggars. This is true. See, he knew that we are spiritually impotent to produce a righteousness that God requires. And that, and what God requires is a perfect righteousness. And this righteousness is by grace alone and faith alone, Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And that makes us all beggars. We are all begging to receive the righteousness of Christ. We are all begging to be set free from the power of sin. We are all begging to be translated from the city of Adam to the city of God. We are all begging to be made right with God. All of humanity... Humanity is begging for this, even though they may not know they are. But every time they try to fill that vacancy that's in their heart with the things of the world, they are begging for God. They are seeking for God. They are longing for God. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. If you are saved this morning, if you are in Christ, if you have been sought out, if you have been chosen by a loving God, I encourage you to be like this beggar and, and be a witness for God and for what he has done for you. Be a bold witness for him and continue to praise him fervently with all your heart and long to be with God's people. And if you do not know this Christ, I beg you now, to come to him because he loves saving sinners. Because right now, the wrath of God is upon you. You are in danger of hell's fire if you do not know this Christ. Once again, he loves saving sinners and he has his arms open to welcome you in. So forfeit your life, surrender your life to him. Let's thank God for giving spiritual arms to beggars like us. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for sovereignly choosing us when we wasn't even looking for you. We thank you for the good, great news of the gospel. Thank you for sending your son to live the perfect life that we can live, to die the, the perfect death that we should have died, and to rise for our justification. We praise you and we thank you for all you have done, all you are doing, all you will do in our lives.
and we give you all praise and glory in jesus